This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Big news overnight last night, of course, ladies and gentlemen, was finally the indictments handed down by the grand jury in Fulton County. RICO charges for Donald Trump and some of his cronies. So I wanted to bring together a good team of people uh, to talk about it and some uh, dear friends as well. First of all, we welcome longtime friend and executive director of the Advancement Project, Judith Brown Deannis. Judith, how are you? Good to see I'm you. I'm great. Thank you, brother, for having me. All right, glad to have you back here. Uh, my, who at, someone who at times has represented me uh, in court and all of our civil disobedience and activism and protests and whatnot, Attorney Donald Temple. Donald, how are you, brother? Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Fine, glad to have you. And we also have with us the Executive Director of the Black PAC, Adrian Shropshire. Adrian, how are you? I'm well, thank you for having me back. Glad glad you ha- have you on with us. Judas, let me get, begin with you. What's What do you think about this latest case or cases for 19 people. Uh, it, is this the most significant one? Will this one have more teeth than, let's say, um, what the special counsel has filed, even in D.C.? Well, first, ooh, we. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, let's laugh like Hillary's laughing. Um, so um, I think that wasn't my legal commentary. That was my. Um, I do think this particular indictment is um, has more heft because you have 19 individuals involved, right? Like a conspiracy takes more than one person, and so you have these other actors that um, that she um, has indicted that have been indicted also. I think the other thing is that. She just has a lot of good evidence up in that camp, right? Like, I mean, you know, and remember that this is the place where Trump calls the Secretary of State and is like just really like being dogged about find me those extra votes, right? And so that happened in Georgia, right? And they had a particular 
focus on Georgia because they knew that they needed Georgia. So they um, they left more fingerprints in Georgia um, than they had in other places. I mean, it has some complexities because it, because it has 19 people, right? Who are all going to have their own lawyers, who are all going to like defend, who are all going to like try and tie this up for forever. But um, I'm looking forward to this playing out um, because I think she's, you know, this is to like through like, she threw the book at them. She threw the, the everything, you know, it's like sometimes in the law we say, you throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Well, she threw it all there and there there might be some things that stick. What what about the 19 uh, Donald Temple? As Judith said, there's some complexities of that. What What are the complexities? And she's even said she wants to try everybody together, right? Right. Well, I think the overall thing is it's almost like a four-dimensional uh, chess game, except there's four dimensions of jury, uh, criminal trials in four different states. Any case uh, involves judge, jury, and jurisdiction. And in this particular case, it's layered because of an unprecedented political dynamic, i.e. an ex-president who is running for president of the United States, against a clock that is ticking that has implications. And so when you go to Georgia and you look at the jurisdiction being Georgia and you look at it being a state court in Fulton County, as in the New York state case, it implicates certain types of jurisprudence versus if that case, which is an issue now in Georgia, whether it's moved to federal court. Once you're in federal court, as in Florida, uh, not only does the judge change, but the jurisdiction changes from the point of view of the juries. People don't realize you can be in Philly and have a state court case, but if you are in federal court in Philly, you'll have people in that federal jury pool who come from places three mm -hmm. hours outside of Philly. And that is a significant factor, and I monitor with regard to uh, how these people in Georgia are viewing this case. There was some polls and conversations. So I think there's a big depend factor, and that's exacerbated by the timing. You know, the Trump move is basically to obfuscate and to, you know, try to delay these trials. And that point of view, it may happen for the reasons that Judith points out in terms of the number of defendants and the complexities associated with a RICO conspiracy case versus by comparison, uh, probably a more solid and predictable case where uh, I think it may go to trial faster is in the D.C. federal case uh, with Judge Chuckin and uh, there not being the level of complexity. But it is complex because all these cases are like interacting with each other and then there's a schedule. And then on the other side of that is the question of this whole political campaign and what's happening with that and how it plays out. We have to realize that's a dangerous space right now, the way people are reacting to this, this the Republican uh, support base that he has is reacting. And the reality is, is that he is still likely to win the Republican nomination. And then we don't know how that's going to play out, given what could happen in a general election. Adrian, what are, even though this has happened, what are the dangers when it comes to the election? One thing that has come out, we haven't heard a lot, a lot of detail about it, but apparently they got some password 
to the Dominion system. And when I, when I heard that, that was frightening because if they're able to do that in 2020, what's to prevent them from doing something like that again in 2024, maybe even a bit more quietly? Yes, and I think that's these are the, the complexities of this case that, that Judith um, talked about. Um, the idea that they essentially um, accuse everyone else of the things that they are actually guilty of. Right. And so, yes, the idea that there is um, the entire uh, part of the case that is about them getting access um, to a voting system. Um, that's obviously frightening. It, you know, we're on on scary enough territory as it is with voter suppression laws and the redistricting that we see happening across the country and the sort of, you know, the, the, the way that we've seen this all play out in Georgia. But when you start talking about going into or getting access to voting machines, um, then we're at a whole, you know, we're at, we're, we're, we're in season, whatever of scandal. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's dangerous. I do think that there is, when we think about the election itself, you know, one of the, the sort of in the in the Republican uh, primary. I mean, obviously, this plays to Trump's base. Right. Um, if if they believed, you know, the day before yesterday um, that he was just being uh, politically persecuted, um, that he had done nothing wrong and this is all about free speech, then they believe that this morning. Um, and they're not going to look for any information. They're not going to read it, information any differently. Um, they believe what they believe um, the way that they they have during his entire presidency. The problem for Trump in a general election is that these indictments, and this one in particular, just reminds the entire country of the chaos and corruption of his administration. It reminds them of, you know, how badly he handled not only the election, but the coronavirus, right? It, it reminds them that he's incapable um, in, and inept. Um, it reminds them that they voted for Joe Biden, generally, right, voted for Joe Biden because they wanted to get away from the chaos um, that this country had spiraled into under his administration. For Black voters, it reminds uh, black voters of everything that we have known to be wrong with Donald Trump, um, his corruption, his criminality. It reminds us that he attacked and threatened and intimidated black poll workers. It reminds us that this was not just about Georgia. It reminds us that he tried to throw out votes in Philadelphia and in Milwaukee and in Detroit. It reminds us that he tried to stop us from having a voice in the 2020 election. So in a general election context, this is all bad news for him because it tells the entire story as the, I, I understand. I mean, I, I'm not a lawyer. I tend to be one sometimes. But my understanding of you know, bringing the RICO charges, it, it allows um, the, the district attorney to tell the whole story. And the whole story isn't just about Georgia. It's about all the other places right. where they were right. also conspiring and where they were also corrupt. And this is the challenge for him in a general election. I think it also it just it also reminds people that he's he's a bully. He's a bully. He tried to bully people to overturn an election. You know, I like, this is, like, I don't, you know, speaking of scandal, like, I always thought, like, there was a Danny Pope. And so when January 6th happened, I thought Danny Pope was going to come out the closet and, like, the shadow government was going to save us. For, like, I didn't actually even think that moment could happen because Danny Pope would start stop it. 
But um, we're now being reminded of the person that he is and, and, his, and that he is the face of authoritarianism and that he is the person who, who thinks that I am the ruler. And what do you mean? Like he's a sore loser, but like, what do you mean that you're not giving me this election? Because, and anybody who's lived in New York, grown up in New York, et cetera, knows that Trump always thought he was untouchable, right? That he could declare bankruptcy 5 million times and it didn't matter because people were still gonna give him money, right? that he lives above the law. And now he is charged with, if folks don't know, RICO is like, is a law for organized criminal enterprises. And that's what they're charging him with. I think we have to be careful though, if I may, you know, I mean, I I agree 5,000% with the the nature of the concerns. I think that the fingerprints as to who he is has been on the wall for years for our community. But I think that we have to be very, I think, head on the swivel, so to speak, and paranoid about developments. Because, you know, I sat next to a guy on a plane and it was very well-to-do guy. And he was reading an article about these indictments on his computer and I asked a question. And he went to Trump's defense at an extreme level. And I thought to myself, you know, if this guy was in a jury pool, would he say, Judy, hey, I am, um, I am, um, I am, um, I'm trying to get back on the camera from here. I am, um, I would be fair and impartial, or would he say, I'm a Trumpite? You know what I mean? Right, and, right. And, and, and I know, because I'm in these damn juries, and I'm like, these people, don't tell you what their biases are, et cetera, et cetera. But my concern is that three, four-dimensional chess game, and we're in August 2023. The cycle in the election is already starting, but we'll be picking up certainly between January and August next year. How that plays out, because what's the end game going to look like in terms of the sequence of these trials, the progression of these trials, and the outcome of these trials, because as much as we think one thing, there are a hundred million people that don't think the same way. And so we have a delicate, fragile divide in the nation. And it's going to be very interesting to see where it takes. I mean, we are pretty sure about what we feel and some people who don't like Trump, but there's a middle ground between the people that do like Trump and the people that don't like Trump to see how this thing plays out. And we have to be very conservative and paranoid about the general election, not only because of Trump, but also because of Democratic Party dynamics. Well, in, in, in light of that, Don, let me stay with you for a minute. What's, what's the timetable, you think? Because we know his goal would be, let's do it, but let's prolong it long enough for him to get, for he, he'll want to get reelected so he can figure out ways to pardon himself and get around it. The uh, uh, the um, special counsel wants to go fast. Fannie Willis says she's ready to get moving. But the likelihood is none of these is just going to get started right away. We're probably looking well into next year. Or is there a way to get a March trial scheduled in New York? Uh, You have a D.C. case that uh, we don't know where it's going to go. Okay, And that's going to also be involve some vulnerability as well. I think that. Trump's the kind of reactions that 
your guest and I see is Trump is defiant about the system and the rule of law, and is I think we're going to see some 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 turmoil, some judicial turmoil in D.C. and maybe see uh, a possibility of, of Trump being set back, so to speak, to being defiant to it and disrespectful to the court's ruling. Okay. okay. So it's a lot of dynamics, but I think the D.C. case is likely to go first, even before New York. Adrian, and she and she's saying in Georgia six months, but I like okay. I can't imagine that. That's 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 ambitious. Yeah. You think? And and not to mention the fact that I mean you got nineteen people there. Inevitably, folks, there's some mm-hmm. who are going to they're going to start flipping, aren't they? And and try to get out of it and cut some deals, presumably, right? Are you I mean, no. <laughs> You don't look too. They started scary. flipping. What do you mean start? They already started. I mean, it depends on where your bread is buttered, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Adrian, uh, everyone is saying that 2024 is going to be boiled down to two issues: um, the Dobbs reversal of Roe and Trump's behavior January 6th and all of that. Um, are there still? And so far, there have been a lot of wins on the the Dobbs piece. Uh, including what just happened in Ohio. So that's a, that's a good thing. But are there still people you think, as this goes on, that can be moved out of the general election slot for voting for him as a result of these indictments, these trials or whatnot? Do you still think there's a possibility for people who've not already seen the light to still see the light, Adrian? I think, um, are you asking if there's if, if people will be persuaded to vote for Biden? Yes. You know, I think that we have enough evidence from 20 uh, to 22 to the most recent um, elections about where uh, about where Americans are. And that's across constituencies. We know that what we are seeing is a significant increase in activism and participation among young people. Um, we know that we are seeing a significant and increased participation um, of women, regardless of, of um, uh, demographic, right, um, age or or race. Um, and so I think that there certainly there are um, again, Trump has, I think, a ceiling um, of of support. And so the question will be whether or not in the midst of these indictments. And again, he has to be more extreme um, in his approach to this election. And we've already seen that from him. And he's, you know, driving the other candidates to be more extreme, right, in their rhetoric. Um, so he has to be more extreme. And I think that the country over the last three cycles now has, reje- has rejected that. And I, and I would go all the way back to 18, actually, for that. I think the country has rejected um, the sort of move toward extremism. Um, and I don't know that that there are too many voters that are going to say, well, you know, we want to we want to let's go back. Right. Um, certainly. And that, none of this is to say is that this is going to be easy because um, I think that there are, you know, um, elections are are a turnout game. They're a persuasion game. And some of it is, you know, around persuasion um, to make sure that people, you know, show up and understand what the Democrats have done and vote for them and all of that. Um, but there's also the, the the persuasion of helping people to understand that um, that they should turn out and vote, right? And that's always the challenge in in the black community is helping is is um, showing folks that the stakes are so high for our community that we must participate at historic numbers. And so I think the Democrats are challenged 
um, in some ways um, on that front. And I also think that, you know, we've, are, we've, we've also seen people who definitely believe that they may not be Trump supporters. Uh, but to Mr. Temple's point, um, there are people that are going to defend him because they actually do believe that he's being persecuted. Right. And I've seen that even in our most recent focus groups with black folks saying, well, they're just doing this to him because it's politics. Right. Um, but I don't think that I think the numbers of those people are fewer than the numbers of people that we have seen show up in the last three election cycles and say, we don't want to go in this direction anymore. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You know, that's an interesting question because there was a trend recently here in D.C. Excuse me, I'm sorry. And, um... It was a trial involving January the 6th, and there were black and white people in the jury. The black people in that jury would not convict the defendant of the charge of taking over, whatever it was, taking over the United States. They were extremely sensitive to defending that defendant, so you can't tell where the jury is going to go in terms of their sensitivity. But for purposes of the underlying question of the elections, I think that our community has to really understand the elections from the point of view that we're not talking about, for purposes of November, we're talking about some critical states and we need to be focusing our attention on those states, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Arizona, Colorado, Wisconsin, maybe. We've even conceded for all practical purposes, Ohio and Florida, and we don't know what's happening in Texas. But we have numbers. And when we talk about these states, we, we can't talk about the election being something that's homogenous, so to speak. There's going to be states that are going to be blood red and states are going to be navy blue. Simple as that. You know, but there are states that are going to be close where we need to be thinking like July 2022, nevertheless, August 2023, 24, I mean, 20, uh, August, we need to be really heightening our scrutiny in those states. And then we talk about all hands on deck. Now is the time. The worst thing that could happen to this country and to the black community is that somehow or another, in these targeted states, we lose out. Remember Trump winning the electoral college, not a popular vote, and we have a problem because 2024 is gonna affect 26, 28, 30, 32, and we're gonna have a problem given what's happening with the courts and what's happening with the economics in this country. Yeah, good, good point. Um, let's do a little bit of role play. Judas, you're Fannie Willis, how do you attack this case? How do you approach this? Mm. Um, good question. I mean, I, first of all, I've got to make sure I keep it in state court. <laughs> That's like my number one goal is to keep it in state court. Um, for all the reasons that Donald mentioned, um, we remove it to federal court. That triggers a lot of things, new jury, new judge, but also like if he wins, he gets a pardon folks. Right. Um, so that's an issue. Um, I think I also like, I want the cameras in the courtroom because we need the public to understand what is happening, that this is not a persecution, but this is some real stuff, right? I'm not going to curse, but there's no real stuff. Um, and, um, I actually want my case to go first. I would want my case in Georgia to go first because also folks know like Georgia 
was like the crux of like everything, right? Like there was this excitement about what happened in Georgia, but there, everybody knows that they were really trying to steal Georgia. If you steal Georgia, you win, right? Um, it's like the Florida of 2000, right? And so I also want that to happen. But I, you know, and I think as much as we talk about, like there are people that believe this is a persecution, I think to Adrian's point, like they are not, they're always going to think this is a persecution of him, right? But now I've got to convince the rest of the people that actually our democracy is hanging on by a thread and that there are people who not only engage in voter suppression, but they are the ones who are really willing to steal an election and be traitors to this country in order to maintain their power. Donald Roleplay, you're representing Donald Trump. In, huh. in Fulton County, what do you do? And I hope you don't mind me asking you to do that. Play this role, because if you were really doing you, it, you, you, wouldn't, get, you wouldn't get paid anyway. Is, you wouldn't get you paid anyway. My name is Donald, too. Donald, right, 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 right. That helps, that's right. I want to draw a Chinese wall there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to say the opposite of what uh, Judy said in this Congress, strategically. I mean, ultimately, I think uh, um, Donald Trump could win New York. He could win Florida. Uh, those cases, uh, I, I'm not so sure they're, uh, particularly Florida because of jury, but also the politics of the courts. And I'm just not so sure about the evidence in New York being so overwhelming, you know. Uh, so if I were Trump, I would want to f the Florida case to go first, followed by New York. I would want the D.C. case to go last. If Trump could etch out, if I could etch out, if I were Trump, a victory in a case, that's going to create a wellspring and it's going to embolden yeah. and empower him. So strategically, that's one thing that uh, I think that he would want to, he want to move as converse with what Judy's saying, he wants to move the Georgia case uh, to federal court, you know, and make as much noise as he can. Don't forget, Georgia is the South. Okay. And, and once you move outside of the uh, Atlanta uh, metropolitan area, you have some issues there. And the last case I would want is D.C. I think D.C., even more so than Georgia, is a problem of enormous proportions for Trump. I think the evidence is solid. Uh, I think the uh, the case is solid. And so that's the scenario. Um, I would tell Trump, if I were his lawyer, shut the hell up. Okay? Uh, I think that his mouth is going to get him into trouble. Uh, but, you know... He's not a controllable or manageable individual, but fortunately, I'm not Donald Trump, and I don't represent him. Amen. <laughs> Adrian uh, Shropshire, you're you're Joe Biden. What do you do with this? How do you mm -hmm. help this? Because you know, you, it's a thing. Well, you know, you can't really comment. You want to do that. Uh, Hillary was not restrained at all last night, uh, no. <laughs> thankfully. But as the head of the party. Uh, what what do you, what do you do with this? How how do you use this? How do you keep people motivated and address, as you said, some black folk, with the help of um, people like Ice Cube, who I'm thankful to say I was at Hip Hop 50 at Yankee Stadium mm. Friday, and there were mm. some there were some scattered boos. I was very proud of the audience. Yes. I tried yeah. to organize people to turn their backs when he performed. I couldn't get them to do that. But most folks sat down. They weren't we, people would dance on Ice Cube, but it was like oh, and everybody sat down. So, yeah. you know, we know the role he's playing. 
uh, same one Killer Mike played against Stacey in Georgia. But what are we, as head of the party, Adrian, what do you do um, to deal with yeah. that and counter that? I mean, he's he's also, you know, he's also the president of the United States, right, as he is a candidate for office. And so I think that, you know, he has been very careful and his team has been very careful to make sure that he isn't actually um, speaking to this and that they're being, um, you know, very disciplined um, in their approach. Um, but this is the role for the rest. But this is there. There is a role for the rest of the party. Right. Um, there is a role for, for Jamie Harrison and the DNC to think about how they're talking about this um, and for state parties in particular in these states where um, that are going to be critical. Right. In 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 the swing states that are going to be critical um, for them to be constantly reminding people of what this is. I do think that the president, though, is, you know, um, when he launched his. Uh, campaign back in 2020, he launched it with this idea of, you know, saving the soul of the nation. Um, and I don't think that we're far from that now, right? The need for that sort of um, vision and understanding about, again, what is at stake. Um, and I think that if, if, if I were advising the president and the vice president, I would stick to that theme where the country is still on very dangerous footing. Our democracy is under assault um, every single day. We have people now in, in charges that suggest that people, you know, broke into voting machines and tried to, um, you know, again, do the thing that they accuse Democrats of doing, right. literally right. shaving off votes uh, and moving them. So I think that the, he needs to continue to remind the country of the dangerous footing that we're on. But he also needs to remind them that there is hope at the end of this chaos. Um, he needs to remind them um, that they started a job. And he said, this is part of their, their campaign tagline, right? Finish the job. But he needs to remind people and make sure that people know what, what uh, they have done, right? What, what uh, job they are actually finishing. And I know that one of the things that is really um, important to us right now um, in terms of our focus is that um, there's just a real serious, deep and wide um, information uh, chasm um, in our community. Uh, and it isn't that I know people talk about low information voters. I don't think that that's it. There is an information gap. People are not getting the information about what this administration has done and what the impact has been on our communities. That has to get fixed and that has to get fixed quickly because if we go, if, if we're at, you know, August of 2024 and we're telling people what Joe Biden did, people are going to say, well, why are you just telling me now? Why didn't you tell me before? I don't believe that that's true, right? So that information gap needs to get closed. Right now, people are talking about what's the message and we need to craft a message. No, information is the message right now. That is it. And if you're trying to move, um, you know, uh, voters of color, young people and women, what you have to do is the message for you right now is simply the information about what has been done. And that is what the campaign should be doing. It is what the Democratic Party apparatus should be doing. And it's what independent organizations like mine should be doing. Um, is making sure that people understand both the stakes, what we came from, what we came through, how we came through it, and what um, we already know what a Donald Trump administration um, looked like. But we also need to be very clear about how dangerous and unhinged a second term would be. And we need to make sure that we're conveying that to people as well. That's right. Can, 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 I, can I add something to that? Please, I, I just want to go outside of that box a little bit. Because I, I, I think the presumption in that analysis is, in fact, the Biden presidency. 
Uh, I've been around a long time. I worked on the Hill for years. I've been seeing some older people and physicians in a long time. And age, and now that I am really significantly into my senior years, I'm a, I'm a senior citizen now. I see how senior citizens are viewed and, and treated. Two things here. On the message, I think that uh, the political algorithms in the Democratic Party in terms of white speech needs to be changed. I've seen it for presidential election after presidential election after presidential election, working in Mississippi. I saw it with Mike the last time. Uh, the, the problem here is, is that the Democratic Party is needs to put money and people who know what they are doing and know how to communicate with people in the Black community in these targeted states. The white boys and white girls and women in the hierarchy of the Democratic Party are disconnected. And they were disconnected in Hillary's campaign. That's why she lost those critical votes that she lost. So they need to stop stuttering on the dollars, get to the people, put the money where it needs. And if there's a message, put the money behind it and put it into community. Don't have somebody who has no knowledge or connection to our communities coming in here, telling us what to do and not give us the sufficient dollars, 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 dollars that we deserve, deserve. The other component of that, too, is this, and it's difficult to fathom, but I believe that the Democratic Party, you said if you were Biden or the head of the campaign, I think you have to question this. And it's the same question we faced on the Supreme Court when that resignation didn't come, Judy, and we got jacked up by having a, a seat open when, when Trump came in and we lost that seat. The reality is that Biden is an octogenarian. I'm speaking as a fellow senior citizen. But ageism among young people is real. And we need to have a calculated assessment and risk as to this question, Biden or if not Biden, who? Because if that question has to be posed in June 2024, you're in a danger zone. Biden is doing yeoman's work and has done and made significant achievements. I'm talking to young people all the time and I'm asking them and there is a feeling about it. It may not be the same and, and people have this issue. But not only that, it's a real issue because of age. But the Democratic Party needs to be honest about it, no less than the Republican Party needs to be honest about Donald Trump and his litany of indictments and all, and all that that means. Because it could be that a, a Biden candidacy could strengthen a Trump candidacy in the Republican Party for the reason of age. So I think some deep introspection is needed. It's hard. Everybody doesn't want to uh, see that kind of change. But it's real. And if something should happen to Biden in the next six to, to eight months, the question still lingers. So we should have an answer to that question somewhere along the line. If not Biden, what happens then? And who might be a, a series of respectable alternative candidates? Well, Donald, the, the alternative it ought to be the vice president. But well, the, the administration has sidelined her, has allowed the media to run an operation on her. And, and to your point, Adrian, when it comes to information, I mean, I, I think there's an op being run on our community. Um, you know, on social media, all of a sudden in the past few years, this whole uh, debate between uh, black men and black women. That wasn't there before. I think a lot of that is is mm -hmm. is is manufactured. 
Mm-hmm. But but I'll let you, you or Judith want to respond to what, what Donald's saying. I mean, those are not... I mean, we Go ahead, Adrian. <laughs> well, I do think, you know, and again, I'll go back to what I said before. Um, I think that this information vacuum is our biggest challenge right now. And the reason is because into that vacuum, what is being thrown is all of the negativity, right? Mm-hmm. All of the these these lingering questions. Right. And it's all anyone ever hears. And so if I am a voter and I'm trying to figure out what's happening right now in every you know, social media uh, page that I go to and uh, the cable news, all I ever hear is Joe Biden is old and Kamala Harris doesn't show up anywhere. Right. Then that's what I'm going to think is actually happening. And so the but but that isn't actually what's happening, right? Like there is a there is a lot of information that is not cut getting through um, to to our community. And so I think that is a, you know like that that's what in this moment that is the biggest challenge. It is to make sure that we are moving the information. That we, like I'm not sure when I think about all of the candidates, particularly the Senate um, candidates who are home on uh, recess right now, that those candidates aren't in every black church in their state. Uh, or, or let me say it this way: They should be. They should be talking about everything that the administration has done. They have ta- should be talking about what the Senate Democrats have tried to do. They should be on black radio. They should be like there is a. They should be trying to close and to fill this information vacuum with accurate information and also again with this vision about you know it, not just the vision about where we need to go, but also um, the stakes. Right. I think that there is a you know, and again, I'll I'll point to our focus groups when you when we ask people, what do you want to know? You know, what do you think about the vice president? People said that, oh, yeah, she you know, we we don't know what she's doing. We don't know where she is. Um, But when you talked about when we talked with them about what the administration had done and we asked them, well, what role do you want the vice president to play? They said, well, you know, actually, she's being judged differently than every other vice president. Like, why? Like, actually, I know I just said that. But why are we having this conversation? She's being judged differently. And also, here's what we want from her. Right. People say, here are the things that we want Kamala to talk about. We want her to be talking about women's reproductive health and Roe. We want her to be talking about the ban on books and um, the ban on African-American history. We want her to be out there talking about um, gun control and not just you know, talking about, you know, um, uh, you know, banning assault weapons. We want her to talk about the everyday violence that happens in our neighborhoods because of ghost guns, because of illegal guns. We want her to talk about that and what the administration's plan is on that. So people want um, the vice president to be out there. They want to hear from her. They want to root for her. Um, but, but their understanding of her is being shaped and framed by what is currently out there. Um, and so that needs we need to change that. Jude, did you want to respond? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's all right, right? And that we know that it's it's important right now for the story of her and what she has been doing um, and her visibility to be out there more because I think to this point about ageism, right? Like, people are worried. <laughs> they are damn worried about what's going to happen to a president. Get You know, can he get through four years, right? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. people have to know that there's a vice president, right? And when we voted for him, we voted for her. And what is she about? And I, th- I do think she's held to a totally different standard, which is like nobody ever cared about vice presidents, right? I mean, you kind of cared about Pence because it's like, Pence, we need you to save the democracy right now, right? <laughs> um, but like, but before then, like, 
we didn't even, he was under the radar, who cared what he was doing. She's being held to a different standard. Also because she's a, on the, on the bad side because she's a black woman, but on the good side because she's a black woman. Because black people want to know that that sister is in their hand on her business, right? And so we have these expectations of what a black woman is capable of doing and we know she can do and we want to see it happen. And so I think um, the administration needs to lean into that. And I think they have been. I think, you know, like her, she was in Florida. She made a great speech there. Folks, you know, she took on DeSantis. Um, We just need to see more of that. And like you said, Donald, stop spending so much money with the white consultant class that is yes. taking over a lot of these things. That's that's a real thing, too. Right. And we've got groups like Black Pack, right? That's like right, Adrian, right like that's what they do. Voter Reg, they do get out the vote. You know, they are a pack. They are a C4. They're all of that. Right. And right. that's that's the work that we have to do and to expand it and to Donald's point in really important states. Yeah. We, we have to understand the, the, the impetus of our thinking. You know, and the way that we're thinking is that, for example, with Kamala, you know, she is stigmatized as a African-American woman. And those two characteristics alone give her a burden. She, we have to understand that people have not, we've not had one president at all. Nevertheless, an African woman, African-American woman president, the, the, the dynamic with Kamala, though, is we can't wait for other people to define us anywhere in terms of this election. You know, whether the, the Democrats are defining how we're going to play this election or the Republicans or the independents, our leadership needs to be thinking from a self-determinative point of view uh, about our interest, you know, whether it's critical or otherwise. And that includes Biden or, or the, the series of trials or whatever have you. Because the what ifs are real. You know, I'm not speaking about ageism from a vacuum. I'm speaking about how people feel about it. But if we keep just dusting mm. it off like it's not real, and it has nothing to do with message, it is real. The, uh, our number of older elected officials and appointed judges and the like, uh, that younger people, the average age in the District of Columbia is 32. You know, younger people come in to say, I got two daughters who are in their 30s. And the way they think about things and the younger people that I interact with, the way they think about things, I have meetings with young people and they're adamant about their feelings about the Democratic Party and some of the issues that we have to deal with. So in terms of the messaging and in terms of our leadership, we have to also understand that we have to rise up. We have to have all these smart people that Carter G. Woodson talked about in the miseducation of the Negro, it doesn't mean anything. Judy, it doesn't mean a damn thing if they're sitting back waiting, the lawyers, the doctors, the MBAs, the business owners sitting back waiting for somebody else to define what's going to happen in the tw- next 12 months that's going to affect our future and our future generations of our children. Yeah. And so I think we had to be bolder, we had to be more innovative, we had to be unrestricted, more imaginative, and then we had to have discussions with people and not let them be condescending, patronizing discussions, which is the story of the day, which is a problem for the Democratic Party and is a problem in terms of our own community when you have these intergenerational dialogues. These people in their 60s and 70s are dying off every day with incredible institutional memory. These intergenerational conversations and dialogues and relationships have to be bolstered in the context of what's happening politically. 
Very well said. Very well said. Uh, last, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I, I thought, and I was wrong, uh, Brian Kemp cannot pardon Donald Trump in Georgia, correct? So that can't happen. Right, Judas? Right. That's not, okay. You mentioned cameras. They do that in Georgia already. I mean, there's, would Trump have to make a motion to stop it? Isn't, is that not an automatic thing? He will make a motion. Okay, but uh, but otherwise, I mean, that's, that's an automatic Yeah, thing, right? otherwise, okay. right. But, I mean, he's going to make a motion just because, you know, this is like a sensitive case. I mean, they'll use yeah. all kinds of privileges and stuff like that that, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, should yeah. not apply. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great conversation. And, and as we were talking about things we have to do, just want to mention, I did attend uh, Reverend Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson's retirement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's another thing. We forget a lot of things he had us do in 84 and 88. We're right. Uh, even in terms of, of being self-determinative and even in terms of demanding where the party invested its resources. And that made all the difference. So maybe we need to go back to some of those old ways, have those intergenerational uh, education sessions and whatnot. Uh, honored to have my dear friends with me and three people who I greatly admire and respect. Judith Brown Deannis, the executive director of the Advancement Project, attorney Donald Temple, Adrian Shropshire, the executive director of the Black Pack, a website for the Black Pack, Adrian? Blackpack.com. Website for the Advancement Project, Judith? Advancementproject.org. And all the great civil rights work that they're doing. Donald Temple, what's your website? Where can people find you? <laughs> Temple Law Offices, you know, um, online. And uh, Mark, I just got to echo that. It does my heart something beyond words. Judy, too, uh, because I knew Judy when she was a law student in her young 20s. And I knew Mark when he was a student in his teens at uh, UDC. And here I am now in my early 70s. God bless both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. God bless you all. Thank you for joining <laughs> us all here on Make It Plain. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.